Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The legendary Bill Walsh was a believer in planning for all contingencies, and that is the theme of this episode from our archives. Coach Tony DeMeo's coaching career has spanned over 37 years, 12 college teams, most recently at the University of Charleston in West Virginia, where he coached for six seasons and compiled the 43-23 record. In this podcast, Coach DeMeo talks about preparing for the worst and implementing his disaster plan. None of us likes the idea of getting behind big in a game. We'd prefer to leave that out of our player's psyche, but discussing it, teaching players and coaches a way to handle it, is a sound practice. Coach DeMeo shares that exact strategy as well as how he prepared his team to handle this situation. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. I'm excited to be joined today by Coach Tony DeMeo, a repeat performer on this podcast. His first podcast was so long we had to put it into two parts, but Coach, it's it's great to be back with you talking ball here, and I'm excited about the topic you're going to share today. Well, thanks, Keith. I had a great time doing it. The last time we did it, I got really great feedback on it. A lot of people had listened to that podcast and really kind of liked it, and they liked our interaction. They thought it was pretty interesting, and Hopefully they'll enjoy this one just as much. 
Well, I think so, Coach. It's one we don't like to talk about because I think by nature football coaches are optimists and we always hope for the best. But the idea behind this one is we also have to prepare for the worst. And you have a philosophy and have put together basically what you call your disaster plan, that there's a right way to approach falling behind in the game and that there's a wrong way to approach it as well. So, Coach, talk to us a little bit about how this idea of a disaster plan came about. Well, in 1975, I was hired as I College. I was the youngest head college coach in the country. I was 25 years old. And at my, we'd won two conference championships by the time I was 27. By then, I thought I had all the answers. Little did I know that I really I didn't. I had the opportunity to work for Harry Gamble when he was the head coach at Penn, and I was his OC. And I would come up with surefire game plans, and he would say, "Calm me down, say, Tony. They have chalked to. This is how long ago it was. <laughs> they have chalked to. You're not the only genius in the Ivy League. Point well made." But my second go-around as a head coach, I was a head coach at Mercier's College. I was still only 29 and 30 years old. And I ran into a buzzsaw and got behind early in the first quarter, like 21 nothing, 20, 20 to nothing, something like that. And instead of what I tried to do was go no huddle, blitz, and go all out to try to get in the game, back in the game right away, and all I did was exasperate the exasperate the whole situation and made it worse. It was like trying to put out your your house being on fire and trying to put out gasoline. It just got worse and worse and worse. And after that, I said, well, there's got to be another way to do this. And that certainly isn't the right way. So I learned from that experience. And so after that, I had a game plan. If we got behind early, especially being an option team, because everybody says, like, if an option team gets behind early, they're done. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's over. And and I didn't want to believe that. We always threw the ball and ran the option, so that that was always that would always help us. But here, here's what we decided: is like rather than shoot the works and try to double down on everything, what we first wanted to do is to stop the bleeding. And and that that really helped everything. Rather than, than speed things up, we slowed things down. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but if you think about it, if you stop the bleeding first, you have less to have to score to get back in the game. So the first thing we decided was every in a disaster game plan, the comebacks have to start on defense. You have to slow our, uh, the opponent down and make and play scorched earth on defense and give us time to regroup and play them one down at a time. In other words, you, there's no, if you're down 21 nothing, you don't have a play in your playbook that's going to score 21 points. Right. And you don't have a play in, in your defensive playbook that's all of a sudden going to turn the ball over and get you the, the ball. You have to just play sound and stop first down, and then stop second and play down by down. So the thing that I I realized was that comebacks don't start on offense. They actually start on defense. 
and stopping the opponent. Well, since we started doing this, we were down twice 21 nothing and came in the first quarter and came from behind and win. We were down 16 nothing and came from behind and win. And at Char- the University of Charleston, my first year there, we were playing, we were picked last in the conference. We were playing the team that was picked second. And we were down 24 6 at half and came back and won 39 34 because we didn't panic. We did exactly what I said. We, we stopped them on defense in the second half. We kept getting stops and scoring after we got the stops, but not in quick bursts. We moved the ball in a controlled fashion. So this way we kept their offense off the field that was scorching hot in the first half. So this comeback start on defense, and that's, that's the, the biggest thing when I talk to people about this. They look at me like I'm, I'm nuts, but really that's where it starts. You have to stop the bleeding before you start your comeback. Coach, do you think we, in those games, I see it happen quite a bit, when a team will get that lead and the other team continues to make mistakes, things just pile up, but on the other hand, you see those teams maybe jump out to a few touchdown lead, especially early. There's always that, I think, tendency, that human nature maybe at that point for them to maybe breathe a sigh of relief, for them to let down a little bit. And if you're applying things as you're talking about, using your defense to slow down their momentum and let your offense build things back up, that now momentum actually starts to shift in your favor. There's, no, there's absolutely no doubt about that. You're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what happens. They, you get a stop. And they, and they kind of, well, okay, that's one stop. But then you, you get yourself with a score, and all of a sudden you're back in the game, especially in today's game where, where most teams throw the ball better and, and score, can score easier. Just a couple of years ago, TCU was down by 31 and a half to Oregon and came back and won. And what people don't realize is, and they scored a lot of points in the second half, but what people don't realize is, the first three possessions of the second half, TCU got three three and outs. And meanwhile, Oregon was still throwing the ball. And so the three and outs were only taking a minute or two at a time. So they they got back themselves back in the game. If you remember that game, and of course Oregon, I mean, TCU came back and won. They got themselves back in the game pretty quick. The other game that's fresh in everybody's mind pretty much was a Super Bowl two years ago when the Patriots were down 28-3 in the first half and came back and won that game. Well, again, everybody talks about Tom Brady, and Tom Brady was obviously the, the difference in the, in the game, but people forgot that, that all of a sudden the Patriots defense kept shutting down Atlanta's offense. And that's what got them back in the game, the three and outs and, and then stopping Atlanta on offense, really suffocating Atlanta's offense in the second half. So not that I'm trying to downplay offense. I'm just saying don't forget about your defense and protect your defense. Well, if they're getting beat up, don't keep putting them in harm's way. you got to protect your defense and keep the offense that's hot off the field for a little bit. And on offense – our approach on offense, my mistake was to go no huddle and try to get it back in, in one 
scoring one or two plays, and, and that is just a disaster. But you have to remember there are no 21-point plays. You just, there's no If you find one, let me know. <laughs> but to my knowledge, there's no play that you're going to score 21 on. So what you want to do is slow the game down on offense a little bit to give your defense a chance to regroup. Meanwhile, you have to move the ball and keep your eye open for a big play. In other words, if you're an option team and you're down 21 and you're running the ball, well, they're, they're going to play you like an option team and they'll give up a big play action pass. They'll think that you're just going to continue to run the option. But meanwhile, you have to keep your eye open for a big play, but not just panic and flail. Don't just flail away and, and swing at wind, windmills. Look for the big play. Chip away at the lead rather than trying to make it in one big play. And then the other thing is what we did, and this is, and I used to kind of argue with my assistants because they didn't like this, but we used to actually practice it mm-hmm. in camp where we said, look, we're down 21 nothing here, and we've got to come back, and this is what we're going to do. And so you keep your team calm. It's just like, it's no different than practicing a two-minute drill. Right. So you're behind in a two-minute drill, right, when you practice it. So you're not being pessimist. You're just being a realist. But keep them calm and let them know that this game is – you're going to win it in the fourth quarter, that it's not going to be – you're not going to turn it around in the second quarter, and you're, you're just going to inch your way back in and then win it. And if you do that, then you don't turn the ball over. You don't make a bad – bad decisions and make and, and create a panic situation. And again, what, what I shoot for is to be in a position to win with six minutes to go in the game. With the practice part of that, I agree. I, I probably wouldn't do any kind of those sessions during the season, just number one, because of time, but also you never want your team really thinking negative during the year. But I think camp is a great time for this. Yeah, um, and, exactly and setting right. that up, I guess, procedurally, how do you approach that in practice, and how much time do you allot for something like that? Well, we do it like a two-minute drill. Like you practice two-minute drill, mm-hmm. we'd say, okay, we're down 21 nothing, and we have to come back and win. This is what we have to do. On defense, you have to get a stop. On offense, you have to get a first down and start it that way. That's the way we would do it. But it's just like it's just like this. You don't like to practice that situation, but practices but pilots don't like to practice disaster situations either. Right. And if you remember when Sullivan Sully landed the plane on the Hudson River, remember that? Yep. The miracle on the Hudson? Well he had practiced that in his flight simulator over and over again. He knew knew how to do it. He just didn't pull that out of the air. He had actually practiced that on a flight simulator. So it's no different than that. I mean, you you don't want to be out of fuel in a plane, but should that happen, you better know what to do about it. And that's kind of what, the way the way I approach it. I don't, I, that's the way I kind of approach it with the team. Say, look, we don't want to ever be down 21 nothing. but if that ever happens, these this is the answer. So our team doesn't panic. And since we did that, now, we've lost games, where we, we, but we've come back in those games. Mm-hmm. But we never panicked in it. And we always made a good run back. We didn't always win them, but we always made a good run back at the game. You know what I mean? 
Absolutely. Coach, the six minutes for you, what's the, the reasoning, the philosophy to be within or be in position to win with within six minutes to go? Well, with six minutes, you have you can run the ball and, and control the clock with the run or the, the high percentage passes. You don't have to score quick. You can take your time and run your basic offense. The six-minute thing, I had the great fortune early in my career when I was head coach at Iona. The, the guy who was in the next cubicle was a fellow by the name of Jim Valvano. Mm-hmm. So I was in the cubicle next to and we used to talk strategy and board games all the time. He used to call it the board game. He's called strategy the board game. That was his term. So he'd say, you got to master, you got to know the board game. He used to always say that I had a good handle on the board game. And he, his idea was there's four six-minute periods that you have to control in the game. The first is the first six minutes of the game. The second period is the last six minutes of the half. You want to control. You want to get off to a good start in the first six minutes. Now, my approach in the first six minutes was basically a scouting report. We were going to show a lot of formations, a lot of motion, a lot of things where our guys in the box are accumulating information on how they defend up balance, how they defend jet motion, how they defend, what do they do with jet motion, what do they do with just regular option motion, what do they do with uh, empty set, what do they do with bunch. I want to do all that in the first six minutes if I can. And so now I know that once I see what they line do with bunch or empty, well, they're not going to have more than one adjustment to that. And now I can play chess for the rest of the game. The last six minutes before the half, we want to get a score and not give up a score in that six minutes and go in the half with some momentum. And then in the half, and then what, what I always like to do is keep a second half surprise available. So, for example, it might be coming out in a, an odd formation like empty or bunch or empty bunch and start the second half with it or start the second half with whirly motion mm-hmm. or something different that will shoot down and confuse their players and they won't have the half the, the time at halftime to readjust that. So they got to be on the field. So when they, if we may, it may never have used empty in the whole game, but now all of a sudden we start the, the second half in empty or in bunch or in some, or maybe even the uh, hammer package, a three back package in the backfield. And then all of a sudden you can see on the, the, the players are scrambling around because they've just gone over the halftime adjustments, and those weren't in them. So I, so the first six minutes of the second half, I like to establish a second-half surprise if we, if we need it. If we're way ahead or don't need it, then we're just going to control the clock. But, I'm, but we want to control the, the first six minutes of the second half. And then the last six minutes of the second half, of the, the end of the game, is you, you put away the W. So that's what... Again, this is a Jim Valvano thing. Your job as a head coach is to put your team in a position to win the game with six minutes to go. If you can do that, you've done a great job coaching. And and then, again, your players, you prepare your players to do that. 
in the last six minutes. Right. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's what I. So <laughs> since then, since my time at Iona and dealing with Coach Valvano, I've always approached games that way. Now he used six minutes. I think he used it because it, it in basketball it sized up that way or something. But anyway, I I, I use six minutes also because in a sixty-minute game, of course, it it even it figures out the right way. Coach, if we were to take this and flip it around and the place we always want to be is, is the team who jumps out to that big lead. What kind of things do you do to, to make sure that you, you don't run into that situation that you and I talked about before, that your, your team takes a, a sigh of relief and kind of relaxes for a second and, and then maybe gets caught off guard or loses momentum? I had an interesting talk with a former opponent head coach, and he said to me, he said, what used to drive him crazy is if we had the lead and the ball, it would be 10 minutes before they saw it. Or It wasn't actually that long, but it seemed, must have seemed like that to him. But what we would do is we're going to score, but we're going to score slow. We're going to take our time. We might even go no huddle, but we're not going to snap the ball until 25 seconds are gone on the clock. See, the thing about football it's a finite game. Mm-hmm. It's not like war that goes on until somebody gives up. You only have 60 minutes. So if we have a 21 nothing lead in the first quarter, we're, we're going to make sure there's only two possessions in the second quarter. And we're going to limit the number of possessions in the game, but we're going to score on those possessions, even if it's a field goal. If, you, if you're up 21 nothing and you kick a field goal, that becomes a four-possession game. So that's what that's what we're going to do. We're going to slow the clock to a crawl. We're going to use all 25 seconds of the, the, the clock and shorten the game. Now, and score while we're doing it. We're not going to just not score. I mean, we're still going to take our shots. We're still going to go downtown. But we're going to make sure that clock is running as much as possible. And we'll throw high-percentage passes, hitch screen, flash screen, things like that, stick routes, to keep the chains moving, move the chains. And when you can move the chains and, and get a score and use up the clock while you're doing it, you're giving your opponent no, no chance to come back. Like, for example, if I was Atlanta against the Patriots, they only ran the ball, I think, three times the whole second half. Well, I would have pounded the run and used play-action pass and bootleg passes and things like that off the play, off the run, but I would have controlled the clock. I wouldn't have given Brady that many possessions to win the game. I'll give you one other example in that game. There was a point where they were in field, Atlanta was in field goal range, and it would have put them up 11. And now they didn't have to score. In, in that amount of time that was left at the end of the game, the Patriots wouldn't have had time to have two possessions without throwing deep, just bombs away. Mm-hmm. They couldn't use their regular offense in that time. So if you would run the ball, instead of trying to throw, and then they got sacked on the pass, instead of trying to throw, if you'd run the ball a couple of times, let the clock run, kick, made the Patriots use their timeouts, kick the field goal, you're up 11, the game's over, and you have the W. Instead, they, they tried to throw, they got sacked, they had a punt, 
and the Patriots came back, went right down the field, scored, went for two, and tied the game, went in overtime, and won it. So that's what that's what I would have done. That that my thing is, if you have a big lead, the object isn't to score as many as you can. The object is to win the game. So you want to be as, as and the other thing you don't want to do is turn the ball over. Right. Because that can change the game. So what you want to do is high percentage passes, high percentage runs, grind the clock, and don't let them get have the time to make a big comeback. Use the clock. and The clock's on your side. Use it. Coach, you certainly have emphasized in the times we've talked the necessity of having your players ready for really every situation and and this is obviously another one. And I think when you do that as a coach, I don't care the sport, when your players know what to do in a situation, they've experienced it before, they understand the strategy behind it, you're putting them in a much better position for success. I was thinking of one more thing, Coach, that I talked with former Montana State head coach Rob Ash this week, and he works for an analytics company now. And we were just talking about situations where the smart thing to do is to not score and to have your players understand that under no circumstance do we want the ball in the end zone because it actually gives the other team an opportunity to have another possession or have two if they onside kick and and get the ball back. Did you experience any of that, and how did you account for those kinds of situations while you're coaching? Well, the the biggest thing that I found is I've seen coaches that when you're down 21 nothing, they're they're screaming, everything's fine, everything's fine, patting everybody on the back. Well, players know everything's not fine. They're not stupid. But if you explain to them ahead of time and say, if this happens, this is what we're we're going to be prepared because this is what we're going to do. Well, that situation is the same thing. It's 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 the kind of deal where. I'll give you a perfect example. A few years ago, I guess it was now about 10 years ago, but Marshall was playing WVU, and Marshall had a two-touchdown lead with under four minutes to go in the game, and they had the ball on the West Virginia three-yard line. Now, all they had to do, they had first and goal on the three, and I I just – I had just done my radio show in this bar in in Charleston. And I said, and I was watching the game after the radio show. And I said, all they got to do is take a knee three times and kick a field goal and the game's over. And they said, why would you take a knee? All you got to do, if they score a touchdown, they're up 21. I said, but what's, it's much easier taking a knee than scoring a touchdown. And they'd be up three possessions. Well, they handed the ball off on first down to a freshman tailback who fumbled. And West Virginia recovered. And they had Pat White at quarterback. And they went right down the field, scored. And then onside kick, got the ball back again, scored again, put the game in overtime, and West Virginia won. And, all they, again, all they had to do – now, I'm, I'm – Doc Holliday is an excellent coach, and I'm not trying to bash him, but it was his first game as a head coach, that game. And that's what happened. And I guarantee you, if he, if, 
if that ever happened again, Doc Holliday would take a knee three times and kick the field goal, and the game's over. And West Virginia has no timeouts. He left it with three timeouts and the ball and a two-touchdown lead, and they wound up losing the game. So there are situations where you don't want to put the ball in the end zone, that being one of them, or you don't want to risk putting it in the end zone. But, but I think your team has to not only play hard but play smart. So they have to know the, the dynamic of the game. And the, and the, the clock, what, what Coach Ash was probably talking about, is the clock has a big situation. If you kill the clock there and not score, then you don't have to kick off to them and give them the ball and put the ball in their hands now where they can score again, onside kick, and get recover and score again. So you're better off killing the clock there than you are actually scoring a touchdown. That's what I think he was talking about. Yeah, he was – I can't remember the specific game, but he was talking about I – I actually want to say it was a TCU game, but the player, all they needed to do was get a first down and they could kneel it out. I don't remember what the score was. It, I think they were up one, and it turned it into an eight-point game. And what happened is the player took it in the end zone and scored touchdown. Now the other team actually has a chance to come back and tie it, turn it into overtime, and win. One of those situations where you want your players to know, <laughs> all we need here is a first down. You, you break into the open, go down, and there's teams actually who strategize giving up a touchdown if that's what they need to do to get the ball back. We've done that, and I even had that on film in a play where our quarterback breaks free, Durante Hunter, and is going to be forced out of bounds and, and slides and just goes down right right before he got pushed out of bounds so the clock's running and, and the game basically ended. But I, I think, I think they, they, you have to teach your players that. We, we practice knocking the ball down rather than intercepting it or – if you do intercept it, don't get tackled. Go down before you get tackled. Right. Because you don't want to risk a fumble and giving them the ball back. Never get tackled with an interception at the end of the game. Just go down. And we practiced that. That was a Thursday deal. I had a Thursday checklist of all these things like that to practice on Thursday and Friday. And we would go through the list, even in just helmets, go through the list. Like, for example, on that list was things like returning a kickoff after a safety. Mm-hmm. You put your punt returner back there, and you put your kick returner back there. They have their punter in the game, they have their kicker in the game, right? And that's an unusual thing, but we practice that. Now, and, and I could count on one hand how many times we used it. But we, we were ready to do it when the situation arose. Same thing with taking a safety. We had a particular way we used to take a safety at the end of the game. My first year at Charleston, we were playing Fairmont State, and it was a horrible win. And we were were back up on our goal line and had a punt. And I took a safety in in the first series of the game. We were down 2-0, and Wound up winning thirty to five, but I just didn't want our kicker to. Even if we he got off a great kick, they were going to get the ball at the thirty. They were going to get three out of it anyway, so we might as well take a safety and, and kick off from the twenty. 
and it worked out great. We, as I said, we wound up winning 35. But the interesting thing was, after the game, the only thing the reporters wanted to talk about was the safety. We never saw it. He took a safety. So uh, I said, we were going to give up three no matter what. And maybe with the possibility of giving up seven. So you might as well give up two and get some field position. So those are the things. But those are the things we practiced. Every, and we have a list. And we just go down. And the kids, like, for example, we called it Little Rascals Kickoff Return. Last play, where they would pitch the ball to each other, right? And we had a particular way to do that, and we practiced that every Friday with helmets. And kids would really get a kick out of that. We practiced hail marys on Friday. We practiced all things that were kind of unique. They didn't really need to be in pads to practice. Exactly. And I think, but I think your, your players, when you prepare your players like that, they don't. They're they're ready for what you're doing. Well, I think it's little things too, coach, like going back to taking the safety. How many coaches out there, and I was taught this one probably halfway through my career by a guy who was with me at the time, was Dave Parrish, actually the brother of Stan Parrish, who coached at a number of teams in Division One. But Dave taught me that when you're having your punter take a safety, that you want to make sure that that ball is to the end line. And that, right. that he has it not into the field to play, not into the end zone, but to the end line as he's he's running away from the other team. And then at some point he can just step out and the ball's already protected. It's not in a situation where maybe all of a sudden the guy catches up and pops him quick or pops that ball out and, and now you're really in trouble. But little details like that will win. We, football we did games. it the exact same way, Coach. We did it the exact same way. He ran along the end line, never got tackled. When he was approached, he stepped out. We even had a way of taking a knee at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. We took a knee in the gun. And what the quarterback would do is go down like he did take a knee and stand back up and wait. And when he he realized that the clock wasn't stopped, uh, (laughs) the play wasn't over, he'd take a knee for real. I love it. So, some extra seconds so it, it would it. run off. It would run off another ten seconds or so. Yeah, it was a fake knee, fake taking <laughs> a knee, stand up, wait, and then take the knee. You used to ask me, why do you take a knee in the gun? Well, first of all, we don't take a snap on the center. So what are we going to do? Take a snap on the center and then fumble it, take it in the gun, and then that gives you time to wait with the ball in your hand. And as I said, fake taking a knee, bounce up and then take it. Coach, I think what you pointed out here today is details, planning, and then the practice of those plans are so crucial. And some of them may never come up in the course of a single season, but you you have to have your players ready in case they do. You can't put them in a situation where they've never worked it before and expect them to be successful. You're just rolling the dice in those situations. I'll give you an example in the in the mid '80s, and you're from Ohio, so you yep. know this. Dayton was a power. Mike Kelly, great football coach, was, and they had never lost to a Division three team at that time at home. And we played them. They were number one team in the country. I was at Mercyhurst at the time. We played them in 1985, and the score was six six in the fourth quarter. 
and they kicked two field goals. We we scored a touchdown and missed the extra point. So six six, we have the ball in midfield, and it's fourth and about four. And we ran our instead of running our punt team on the field. Now Dayton at the time had two really good tailbacks. They used to put them back there to field the punt. They had a twin punt returns, and we instead of running our punt team on the field, our punter ran out there. But our second offense ran out there. And we, we instead of getting in punt formation, we got in the wishbone and ran wide veer for about 18 yards in the first down. And then went no huddle and made Dayton use a timeout to stop the clock because they had their punt return team on the field. So that used up one timeout. Then we went punched it in from there for a score. So we went up 13-6. So the next time they go, they went like three and out. This is all in the fourth quarter, and punted to us. We we got the ball, moved the ball back, same almost in the same spot at midfield, right around midfield. And this time they didn't put their punt returners in. They left their safety in the game, and 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 we ran our second team on the field which looked like our second team because the quarterback was on the field. And it, so their safety got deep and our quarterback punted the ball, quick kick. And their kid fumbled, their safety fumbled it. We recovered on about the 12, punched in, we wound up winning the game, 19-6. And it was just, and those plays we had practiced that, hadn't used it for two years. And then we just did it did it in those games, and it worked out like a charm. And that's how we wound up upsetting him that year. But it was, it was again, something that we had practiced on Friday. We had never really done it in a game before. But it worked like a charm. Well, Coach, it was great to spend time with you again here on the podcast. Certainly would invite you back at any time to share some ideas with us. It's always great to talk ball with you. Well, thanks, Coach. And some of these ideas are, are kind of radical, but it's just the way that I learned how to coach the game. And like you said, details, little things, preparation, there's no, there's no substitute for detailed preparation. You may not win them all, but you're going to be in, in, in every game. I'll tell you that. Absolutely. If you want to see Coach's stuff, go to TonyDeMeo.com, that's T-O-N-Y-D-E-M-E-O.com, or follow him on Twitter at TDCoach. Coach, thanks again, and we'll talk hey, again soon. Hey, take care. Have a great day.